0: I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. This season of Fairy God Boss Radio is brought to you by Cisco, the worldwide leader in IT networking and cybersecurity solutions. Cisco is deeply committed to inclusion and diversity because without diversity thought and a commitment to equality, there's no moving forward. Cisco was voted a top company for women by its female employees on Fairy God Boss. Today, I'm so happy to be joined by Luciana Duarte. Luciana is the VP Global Head of Employee Experience at HP. Welcome, Lou. We're so glad to have you on the show. Thank you, Romy. It's wonderful to be here. Lou, please tell us about your career. Where did you start, and how did you end up in this world of employee experience?
1: Ah, uh, yes. The world of employee experience that didn't even exist when my career started. Exactly. So, yeah. It's, um, it's interesting because throughout my career, I've always done things that were related to this, except that there was no name for it when, when I first started doing those things. But my background is in culture. I actually studied cultural anthropology in college. It was one of my two majors. The other one was English. So my interest has always been at that intersection of how do we talk about, understand, make sense of culture and and how we show up in the world, what our experience is in the world as human beings. And so that has always been very top of mind and of interest to me. And so what is cool is that over the years, so I started out Doing nothing of the kind. Um, I started out my first job after college was uh, at the Brazilian consulate uh, because my background is is Brazilian. And so I got the opportunity to work there and so did that for a couple years. Uh, But then moved on to technology through a former connection from high school who had worked at a technology company and connected me, got me in the door. And I was hired as an assistant project manager of technology. Now, mind you, I had graduated at a liberal arts college, uh, Amherst College, with a degree in English and cultural anthropology. So yes. nothing to do with technology.
0: <laughs> I have similar degrees, so I understand. <laughs> so it was
1: quite a leap, but you know, it's one of those things that, you know, you sort of say, huh, you okay, well, why not? I, I'll, I'll give this a shot. But w- the interesting thing was the reason this connection, and the reason I started out saying former is because he was actually a former boyfriend didn't know if I should say that, but you I know, think that's very school. interesting. So. Yes.
0: <laughs> so he said, forget he, cultural anthropology, you need to be in tech.
1: Well, what he said was, I think you'd really like working there. I think you'd really like, I don't know if you used the word culture, but what he meant was, I think that is a place that you'll really enjoy working. Hmm. And, you know, it was true. It was a startup. It was a company called Sapient, which was oh, a, sure. um, yeah, now, now they're still around. Um, even, even after the, the dot-com bubble burst, we were, this was actually pre-dot-com bubble. This was in the mid-90s. And um, it was a systems integrator at the time, um, technology consultancy. And it was a wonderful culture. It was actually it was founded by co-CEOs who were just really enlightened and very aware of the importance of culture, the importance of creating a great environment for people to thrive, And, you know, really believing that we all could figure things out together. And so their philosophy, whether it was stated or not, was to just hire great people who were smart and capable and, you know, let them figure things out. And so we did. And so that's why I got that first uh, opportunity in tech, having had no background in tech. Um, But the funny thing is that just a few months in, I very quickly realized, okay, the topic of the job is not of interest to me. The experience of being at this company is of very much interest to me. And so What was great was that I was able to parlay, you know, that sort of stepping stone of assistant project manager into a job that I sort of created, which was to start doing their um, onboarding. So we were hiring people like crazy. It was growing very rapidly. I was employee number 233, pre-IPO. And it was just, you know, it was, it was one of those like, wow, we've got to get people in the door because there's a lot of business. And so, you know, we got to very quickly acculturate people. And because it was a consultancy, there were um, certain, you know, sort of methodologies that we had that, that everybody had to be versed in and, and be in sync on. And so we actually had a week long orientation program. And so it had started just a few months before I started working there. And so the woman who started that program needed help because you know there were so many people coming in, and so we needed to expand and we needed to uh, to scale it. And so I helped her to scale it, and in doing so, I also started to realize that. The problem wasn't just bringing people in and acculturating them to our culture and and our our methodology. It was also maintaining that connection, right? So of course, getting people in the door and kind of, you know, giving them that that initial inculcation of culture and here's how we work and here's, you know, how this place works is important. But then what about, you know, week two, three, four, you know, months uh, ahead? How do you maintain that connection? And so I actually then realized that what we needed was an employee communications program. And so I pitched that to the co-CEOs and they bought it. You know, I mean, I sort of very boldly went to Love them it. and said, Hey, I, you know, I have this idea and, and, and bless them you know, they were very open to it and they said, huh, okay, well, why don't you go try it out? And so I did. So then I created our intranet um, and I realized that in order to make it sticky, there had to be fresh content. And so I took it upon myself to uh, have a daily newsletter on our intranet. Now I was a team of one at the time. That's a big undertaking. Very late nights. Yes. I was there until very late every night, but you know, it worked. And so I was able to get a team and I was able to start building something because, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things I've learned in my career is if you really believe in something and and you take it upon yourself to prove its value the reality is you know you'll probably be able to grow it and there will be others who will join you and in this case the CEOs saw the value of what I was doing and they started giving me people and so we were able to scale it and so we turned it from you know it used to be that they would step on the tables in the you know in the common room and on Friday nights and you know, over beer and the mozzarella sticks they would yell out here's what our forecast looks like and you know here's the new <laughs> sales projects coming in yeah we were able to kind of pivot from that to okay well as we open offices in other parts of the world this was in Cambridge Massachusetts by the way but you know the reality is you, you can't do that and step on a on a table and uh, have the, the whole world hear you so what we tried to do is we tried to maintain that spirit right because that was really important that was a big part of the culture so how do you scale that Around the world, and you know, with different uh, cultures, different languages, but maintaining that spirit of entrepreneurship and and um, you know, just sort of scrappiness, right? That was so important. So, it was culture so very- hard
0: to replicate across different locations, and very hard yeah, to scale. Uh, and right. I have even found that ourselves as we as we've been trying to scale up very Godboss. It's, it's when you grow quickly, it's hard to translate those ideas. That's for sure. right.
1: That's right. Yeah, so it was a bit of a, of a trial by fire. Um, I was there for 11 years because I kept getting new opportunities, and my job kept changing as, as we saw new needs come up and move forward. So um, from there, I ended up following a colleague to PricewaterhouseCoopers, where I worked for almost four years. But by that point, I had moved from my husband's job for for PwC. And then um, we had moved again to the San Francisco Bay Area. And when when we we got that opportunity, he was very excited about it because it was to work at Apple and it was right as the iPhone was coming out and he's kind of a tech fanboy. So yeah, so he was like, you know, let's just go do this for a couple years. And of course, you know, the rest is history, right? It's been 13 now, but we loved it. And uh, and, and I, I really wanted to do it. So I was a little bit concerned about what that would feel like to have that conversation with my boss to say, hey, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm leaving to go to California. But they said, you know what, that's fine. You can do your job from there. You can just do your job from home. And so I did for a couple of years, but I got a little lonely. I'm actually the kind of person who does enjoy kind of that interaction, you know, that safe yes. space collaboration. And so I ended up looking for a job locally. And so I ended up going to Apple myself. And that was kind of an interesting story too, because that was another connection that I had made when I was at Sapient. Because we were doing very innovative things, we actually had a business school professor from the Harvard Business School write a case study about us. And I was his- Very cool. I got to find that case study. Yes. Yes. It was, you know, it was like the budding of like bringing dogs to work and, you know, just having beer and monster sticks on a Friday, hearing about the forecast, you know, it was that, that sort of thing. And so at the time it was, it was somewhat uh, new, but the most important thing is that it was all founded on a very strong culture of very strong core values, like I said earlier. And so that's the part that was really um, impressive and, and, uh, and that actually stood the test of time. So this professor who had written this case study ended up going to Apple to start um, Apple University. And I was already in California at the time. And because my husband was at Apple, uh, when the announcement went out saying, oh, you know, we've hired Joel Padolny to start this new program, he recognized the name because he said, oh, isn't this the professor who wrote the case study? And so Mike said, well, why don't you reach out to him? You know, just just say hi. At first, I was hesitant to do that. I was like, oh, you know, he's not going to know who I am. And <laughs> of course, he knew exactly who I was. <laughs> and okay. um, Great.
0: You uh, made an impression.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, and of course, you know, it ended up hiring me to uh, go help him to start Apple University. So I did that for four years. And then that was an interesting chapter in, in my career. And so I, after four years and one month, I uh, embarked on uh, an adventure. Um, My husband had already left and had gone to a startup uh, that was also not what he wanted. And so we decided we could just move on to a different job right now, or we could take some time off and travel. And so because we don't have children, we've been responsible. We decided we could do that. And so we spent a year traveling the world. It was amazing. We had an amazing... Must have
0: been amazing, and you must never regret that.
1: We both think it was one of the best decisions we ever made other than getting married. What was your favorite place? My top three are Peru, Portugal, and Provence because, you know, alliteration is a good thing,
0: so. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Three amazing places. Yes, yes.
1: So, yeah, so then, and then after that, I, you know, that really changed our perception of work and life. Um, Work and life became more integrated for us after that year. We really sort of thought there was a trajectory that we had been on that wasn't quite right for us, and so we re-examined what we wanted from life, what was important to us, and in both of our cases, we were able to then you know, move into roles that were much more aligned to who we are as individuals and what we care about, companies that, that have cultures that are in sync with our own values and beliefs. And so for me, that place was HP, and I was, I was just so lucky to um, reconnect with another very important former boss in this case, um, who was Tracy Keough, um, who is our amazing chief HR officer at, at HP. And so when I came back from my sabbatical, I, I reached out to my network and I said, "Hey, you know, I'm back and I'm I'm uh, I'm available." And uh, and Tracy was one of the people who responded right away. And it just so happened that HP was separating, and so the uh, Hewlett Packard company was separating into two smaller, more focused, more nimble organizations. Now, mind you, smaller, this was the 300,000 person behemoth, right? And so smaller meant in our case for HP Inc, 50,000 employees. And it was funny because when I started working there, people would say stuff like, oh, wow, you know, we're going to be so small. We're going to be so nimble. We're going to be so agile. 50,000 employees, right? Because it's all relative. So it was awesome. And so I was able to really put in practice a lot of what I had learned throughout my career about, Culture about how do you create an intentional culture that will enable the the kinds of uh, business results that we wanted from a, a company perspective, but also would enable um, us to attract the best talent because there were there were things that were important to people that we could bake into our culture, like ongoing development, um, like um, mentoring, like, um, you know, on the job training, and certainly based on a a very compelling foundation of core values. I mean, HP was the company that uh, I think coined the term core values, you know, back when nobody was talking about that. Bill and Dave uh, were very forward-thinking and already had all of the right ideas around that. And, and it's amazing that 81 years later now, our values are still very strong and uh, the organization is is a wonderful place to work. So for me, that was an amazing opportunity to go to work for a former boss. Um, so Tracy had been my boss for a couple of years at Sapient when we overlapped there, but also for a company that was so iconic and that, you know, essentially had written the book on, on corporate culture.
0: Amazing. That is an incredible journey. And I actually, it's making me have a few follow-up questions that I want to ask. So first of all, going way back to your time at Sapient, I'm really interested in how you saw this need for a new role and decided, well, it has nothing to do with my day job, but that is the job for me and I'm going to pitch it. Can you talk a little bit about what gave you the confidence? How did you go about it? How could someone else who saw a similar opportunity take advantage of it?
1: Yeah, great question, Romy. The, the, the truth is I felt stuck in the job that I had. I Which is a big had,
0: motivator. Sometimes it's yes. important to acknowledge when it's not working for us and think about how we make it work better.
1: Exactly, exactly. At that time, I I still had kind of, I think, a very traditional view of a career, right? I mean, I I was only a few years out of college. I wanted to build my resume. And so, you know, here I found myself a couple of months into a job that I I could tell wasn't the right role for me for my skill set. And my interests, but I I was very aware of what it would look like on my resume if I left prematurely. And so, you know, I didn't want, I didn't want to have what I would have thought of as a blemish on my, on my resume by leaving a job, you know, two, three months in. Um, and so it was sort of like necessity is the mother of invention, right? And I started to look around and think about, okay, well, what, what do I have that, that I could offer to this organization? And the other thing, too, though, that, that was a big factor was that I really liked the company. You know, I liked the values. I liked the people. It was a good place to be. It's just that the job I was doing wasn't right for me. And so those factors really sort of um, propelled me. And also it was the approachability of the leaders, right? Mm-hmm. So even though they were the CEOs, they created a very open environment. And so that allowed people to have the real conversations, which, which is what this was.
0: Yeah. Seems like you, you had your platform, you had the access, you had the idea. And then you just sort of had the courage and and it really worked out for you. Uh, So I think that's a great lesson to our listeners that when you see opportunity, raise your hand, step up, volunteer, make the case because it'll happen to you. There you go. The other question that I, I wanted to ask kind of relatedly is... How can a job seeker attempt to understand a culture in advance so that we don't end up in a place that doesn't fit us? And I also have had that experience. I showed up from my first day at a job and I was like, oh, this was a mistake. <laughs> how, do you, how do you get ahead of that so that you really have a solid sense of culture before you start? Interview the
1: company as they are interviewing you. You know that's one of the things that I learned yeah. uh, later in in life that I didn't I didn't quite get right away that I wish I knew because you know when you're looking for a job, in many ways you sort of get wrapped into how do I market myself? How do I sell my 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 skills? Right? You're sort of in this mode of selling. Exactly. You Not forget, buying. <laughs> yeah, but you're you're actually also buying. You know, like what are you right. buying into? Right, right, right. And so um, I think it's really important to remember that you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. And, and if, if you approach it that way, that this is really an interaction, this is a conversation, you know, this is a, a, a two-way dialogue. I think it, it really helps because you start to hone in on, you know, so what are the things that I think would work for me here? What are the things that um, maybe don't? And then you, you look for those things in the conversations that you're having. You ask
0: people the tough questions. Great. All right, and then the the final kind of related question is within our community, we definitely have a sense right now that there are people who would like to look for a new job or start a new job, but they're very nervous about the prospect of onboarding virtually. What do you recommend or how can onboarding virtually be successful, particularly as it pertains to sort of understanding cultural norms or nuance?
1: That is very true. And and that's also true of even pre-boarding, right? So um, how, do, how do you make the connections? Um, how do you get the answers that you need? I think actually asking a company, as you're interviewing, asking them, what are they doing to onboard during the, the pandemic? Um, we've actually invested a lot in this area at HP. So we have an app that we've built. Our Borders can, can use to That's start getting cool. acquainted with HP, with our yeah. history, with our culture, with our products, you know, it, to feel more connected. We connect them to buddies. We connect them to mentors in advance of joining the company. Um, we put them in touch with their manager. So I think looking for signs that the company has figured this out, or if they if they haven't, maybe it's a smaller company, um, are they open to the feedback that you're giving them, right? Uh, can you co-create something? Um, could this be an opportunity for you to, to actually come in and, and make a mark and say, look, you know, here's, here's some things that I've experienced that I would suggest. Um, and as long as you're doing that in a way that is uh, authentic and, you know, intending to, to solve a problem problem, I think it it tends to be
0: well-received. Absolutely. From everything I know, HP has been one of the strongest cultures supporting women in technology in the Bay Area, and with many years behind you, and, and frankly, with one or two of the most notable female CEOs. Even all that said, we know that achieving true gender equality throughout corporate America is still far away. I think the World Economic Forum says we're still 200 years away. What are some of the things that you think companies, and especially individuals, can be doing to help accelerate the pace of progress within their workplace?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and, and one that does behoove all of us. So I'm, I'm really glad that you're asking that, Romy, and, and I, I hope you're asking that of everyone, um, because I, I think that it, it takes all of us working together in a concerted way, right, to help each other up and to move each other along. At HP, we're just, we're doing so much. And a lot of it is grounded in that very foundation of core values, right? So from the very beginning, our company has always been about opportunity and entrepreneurship and equality, even before those terms were were thrown around in the workspace, because our founders understood that what truly makes a company great is a plethora of ideas, you know, a a diversity of inputs. And so that was really foundational. I think that's actually really interesting to see, you know, in, in my career, looking at different cultures in the organizations that I worked for, but also I didn't mention this before. I also did some consulting for Sapiens clients. So I got Mm -hmm. to see the inside of some other organizations as a consultant as well. And of course, I'm always asking my friends about, you know, their experiences at their workplaces. So what I see is that the tactics are often a manifestation of the culture, right? Of, of the beliefs and the values. And so you really kind of need that foundation in order to develop the right tactics and, and strategies that will advance gender. So, I'll tell you some of the tactics that we have at HP. So, you know, we have all kinds of programs for advancing women um, in leadership positions. Um, we have a program called Catalyst, which is an amazing sponsorship program where women get to be sponsored. And then we have amazing results of like, a third of of those who participate in the program then um, get promoted within a very short period of time following the program. We have some local programs in India. We have an amazing program called Disha. It's a six-month program that aims to increase the readiness of women to be leaders at company, not only in India, but beyond. Um, You know, we're listed in all the major listings of uh, best companies to work for, for working mothers and, Mm. you know, women engineers. And, you know, so all of those things I think follow from the true desire and belief that there should be representation of all genders and, you know, all different ethnicities and sexual orientations and, you know, all of it. And so it really isn't so much about what programs are in place. It's more about what's behind those programs, because that I think is what leads us to always be innovating and putting in place the thing that will help, right? Once you realize what kind of an impact is is a program having, you can then correct and, and readjust and get on the right course. That all comes back to, are you fundamentally a company that believes that, or are you just doing that because it's, you know, sort of in vogue and, and, and at HP, I can honestly say it's, it's because we truly believe that it's the right thing to do.
0: Love that. What I like about what you've said is these are not like shoot the moon projects. It's just that establishing very clear and well-organized programs that help advance women, that help them get additional development and be better positioned for sponsorship and promotion brass tacks investment in those programs will make a difference and they are worthwhile.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And, um, and certainly something that we invest in quite a bit at, at HP.
0: All right. So one more question about your career, if you don't mind, of course <laughs> tell <so. laughs> us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it.
1: Oh, which one to pick? <laughs> so many to, to choose from. Um, so, you know, since we're talking about it from a career standpoint, a mistake I made was to stay in place for too long. Um, That's interesting. That, yeah. That I, and that it's I, tempting. Yeah. It's
0: hard to leave. When things are not terrible, it's hard to leave. That's Right. That's right.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think what starts to happen when you stay too long is, you know, you start to atrophy a little bit, you sell a little bit of your soul, you know, maybe you get a little complacent, Um, maybe you get a little less engaged, you know, you start to make fewer contributions, you know, you start to kind of just settle in you know, once I realized that it it was, it's kind of like the frog in the boiling water, or actually, I guess the opposite of it, but you know, you don't notice, right. That, that you're, you're, you're cooking a little bit. And so once you realize it though, um, you know, you leap out as, as quickly as you can, because I think it's so important to stay fresh and stay engaged and really to, you know, not just from a career standpoint, but from a personal standpoint, because I think we only have one life to live, you know, and so why waste that life on, you know, just sort of humming along when right. you can be doing things that are actually energizing and exciting and that move you forward.
0: Right. Well, I think there is always that, you know, if I wait it out here, will it improve? And how do you gauge, no, I'm better off going. But it feels like either way, you should be doing some good research about what's out there so you can make an informed decision.
1: Yeah, and even be talking to people, you know. So research doesn't necessarily always mean, you know, looking at the job boards. I mean, just like talk to your friends. How are they getting along in the companies that they're working for? You know, what are they hearing? Talk to your peers in your community of practice. Um, I'm actually a member of an Employee Communicators Network here in the Bay Area, and it's a super helpful organization to be part of because I learn so much from people who are in similar positions and companies. And, you know, we go out for lunch every so often, COVID permitting, of course, but um, we we haven't done that in a while, but we've gotten on the occasional Zoom call and we just sort of, you know, trade war stories and just pick each other's brains and and brainstorm on topics that are relevant to all of us. So it's a really, I think, important thing to do to stay current on people's experiences because what you may hear may result in you deciding to, uh, to make a change yourself.
0: Absolutely. All right. Now I get to get into our fun questions. Okay. All right, Lou, what is your karaoke song? Don't Stop Believing. Oh, That's a great one. I love it. (laughs) I have so
1: many though. That's just, that's the first one that comes to mind. Great. um, There are many.
0: (laughs) Good. I love, I love that. What's your favorite way to practice self-care?
1: It's traveling, which right now is a little tricky, so we have adjusted, and what we're doing is we're actually road tripping um, more, which we oh, also love. Oh,
0: that's fun, yeah. and also a little fresh and different, maybe, than what you were used to before.
1: Exactly, yeah, so my husband and I got to go to Alaska earlier this year, despite You drove COVID. to Alaska?
0: No, we, we, we flew, okay. but, but then right. once
1: we got there, we, we rented a car. Yeah. <laughs> And we drove around for a week and it was so liberating. It was wonderful. And actually, you know, it's one of those situations where you think, oh gosh, you know, this is not the trip I had planned. We thought it was going to be, you know, this big cruise and we were going to see all of Alaska and the coast and all that. And then COVID hit, but I still really wanted to go because Alaska was my 50th state. Uh, oh my goodness. 50, all wow. 50. Yes. That's amazing. And that was a big goal for me. I'm turning 50 very soon. And that uh, my goal was to get to 50 countries and 50 states um, before I turned 50. Luckily, I had gotten to my 50 countries last year, because otherwise that would have been a a much harder proposition. And I was only missing Alaska. It was an amazing
0: experience. That sounds incredible. Uh, If I spaced out for a second, because I was quietly counting how many countries I visited (laughs) myself, and it was not anywhere approaching 50. Um, Well,
1: what got me counting (laughs) was this app called BIN, B-E-E-N, if you have it checked it out yet. And um and so once you like you start to mark off the places you've been to, you start to realize, oh wait a second. I you know and then and then it starts to become this little
0: game. So it's kind of fun. I'm gonna check that out. I love it. <laughs> Who is one celebrity you'd like to have dinner with?
1: Justin Trudeau. Oh interesting. <laughs> um, are you I'm, Canadian? I'm married to a Canadian. Got it. So I am Canadian by marriage, I guess. Yes. Um and he is, I think, an amazing uh, head of state, one of my favorites. Jacinda in uh, New Zealand is another one. Oh, she's incredible. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, I just, I'm so inspired by people who like the two of them. And of course, like Obama and, you know, so many others have really been able to uh, rise to their position at a, a fairly early age, you know, are very relatable and understand the big issues facing their, their countries and, and are able to relate to their diverse populations very um, uh, insightful way so I would love to get to know Justin Trudeau who by the way played um, with my husband when they were young they had a, a little uh, play date
0: at a um, at a park wow I- that is notable <laughs> when you have dinner with Justin Trudeau you'll have to tell him about it. I'll that. have to tell you all about it yes, yes. what's a book you'd like to recommend
1: well, a book I read recently that I was just so inspired by was Becoming um, by Michelle Obama. Absolutely. Um,
0: what a phenomenal book.
1: Not, yeah. And I'm probably not the only guest on, on your show to say this, Romy, but, um, but I, I feel like I became a bit, an even bigger fan as a result of, of reading the book. And it was just such an inspiration to see someone who essentially lives a life of service. So really, really dignified and inspiring in, in, on so many levels.
0: All right. So at Fairy God Boss, we believe that women need to do a better job bragging or taking credit for our achievements. And that's one of the things that we can do to help advance gender equality. So I'm going to put you on the spot now, Lou, and ask you to brag to us about one of your achievements. Well, it's funny. Uh,
1: So when you say achievement, that makes me think, you know, awards. So I, I have received the Gold Quill Award from the International Association of Business Communicators, which is fun and it's an achievement and it's on my resume. But I think something I'm really proud of that maybe, you know, wouldn't be considered an achievement externally is that I'm a really good editor and I like editing text and okay. I get the opportunity to do that because I get to review a lot of content as part of my job. And I have a lot of fun with it. And my team, at times, they have fun with it too. At times, they're a little bit chagrined by my my uh, overzealousness um, with editing. But it's something that, that I'm proud of because uh, it, I really think that words matter and how we say things matters.
0: Yes, um, a, you know, more at, than ever.
1: Yes, exactly. That's, that's exactly right. And so I, I think that it gives us the opportunity to express, especially when, when we're writing, right, to express exactly what we mean. For me in particular, perhaps because, you know, English for me is a second language. Um, I, I grew up in Brazil uh, speaking Portuguese. And so uh, having that opportunity to write things down is, is a more deliberate act. And, and so I can actually find the, the right words and write them. And it's sort of a craft. It's a labor of love.
0: Fantastic. I love it. So then I think we'll come now to our last question, which is simply what is the number one piece of advice you would like to leave our audience with? What do you think this audience of women who are ambitious and curious and maybe challenged and overwhelmed, what is the one thing you think they should keep in mind?
1: Well, so I'll call on another source of inspiration for me, and that's Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And a little moniker that I came up with to remind myself of who I want to be and how I want to show up. I use the the acronym RBG, and it stands for Be Reliable, right? So always do what you say you're going to do, deliver when you say you're going to deliver, make sure that you set people's expectations and, and come through. Um, so be reliable, that's the R. For the B, be bold, be brave. Um, You said that earlier, Romy. um, You know, it's it's, it's important to go for the things that you want to go for. Don't be shy. There's so many opportunities out there and and the reality is people will listen to you if you really feel strongly about something and if you can articulate it in a compelling way. So be brave and go for the thing that you want to go for. And then for the G, have a growth mindset. You know, I mean, we are all learning all the time. Don't feel like because you've made a mistake or because something hasn't panned out the way you wanted it to, to go, that there's nothing to be learned from it. On the contrary, you know, it's from your mistakes that you learn the most. And so have that growth mindset and, um, and get out there. And, uh, and that's, your, that's your RBG right there.
0: I love it. And I love that you sort of have defined your own personal values. We can't always be perfect, but you can at least know when you're behaving consistently with them or not. And I, I love, I think to me, a takeaway is simply going back and thinking about what my values are and what, what would my acronym be if I were to define it. Love that.
1: I'll look forward to hearing what it is, Romy, once you think about it.
0: Lou, it has been wonderful talking to you. Thank you for sharing your, your wisdom and insight with us today. I really enjoyed getting to hear your experience. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.
1: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.